2: Hey, everybody, it's Dan, and this is the Wednesday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. And today, Mary Kay Cabot, Ellis Williams, and I are talking about what we learned about every single Browns draft pick, or more appropriately, what each Browns draft pick taught us about Andrew Barry and the Browns approach to roster building. So that's coming up here on today's podcast. Let me tell you about Football Insider, Cleveland.com slash Browns, the blue banner at the top of the page a newsletter to your inbox every single day with exclusive content access to exclusive stories on cleveland.com slash browns and you get to be a part of our texter group which is a lot of fun the people that get involved with that really do love it and see it as a great value added to their football insider subscription so check it out again cleveland.com slash browns the blue banner at the top of the page all right here we go our wednesday orange and brown talk podcast Here we go on our Wednesday Orange or Brown Talk podcast. So today, Ellis and Mary Kay, I put up a post as we're recording this on Tuesday. I put up a post about what we learned from each draft pick. So I'm going to read you guys what I wrote. And if you guys have something to add, you can add it. If you just want to expand on what I said, you can do that too. But we're just going to start right at the top. And Greg Newsom the second. So I think there's a lot to learn from this. But to me, it's just... I guess maybe we should trust ourselves when we're thinking about how Andrew Barry is approaching building this team. Cause we all kind of had this sense, right? That cornerback two was a spot that was being left open or not open because Grady Williams is on the roster and coming back, but it was a position of need. And we all kind of, at some point talked through that. And so that maybe Andrew Barry does kind of tell us what he's going to do in his roster building. And it, it's certainly worth paying attention to that. They're not going to reach for need necessarily, but they're not afraid to leave a spot open and really address that in the draft, especially when it comes to long-term things. So thoughts on that or a, another lesson to take away from the Greg Newsom pick.
1: Well, I, I think you may make a good point there. Uh, and Andrew Berry has, has stated on numerous occasions that when need marries up with the best player available, it's the ideal situation. And for them, that's what happened in their first draft last year when they got an opportunity to have their need marry up with the best available player for them at left tackle in, in Jedrick Wills. So it just so happened to be a really good class. Well, you know, that's that's also that by design. They know the strengths of what positions are going to be uh, really great in the first round as they head into it. So they already know what's going to be good in 2022 in the first round. And so they're probably planning accordingly for that. But if none of the cornerbacks had been available that they liked, they wouldn't have hesitated. It just so happened that it, that it worked out this way for the second year in a row, it fell their way. Uh, You know, we had talked about this on the podcast. I think a lot of people thought Greg Newsom would be gone by the time they picked at number 26, right? They may have, been benefited by Caleb Farley going a couple picks ahead of of them because it left Greg Newsome open to them. And I'm not 100% certain they would have taken Caleb Farley at 2026. There's a chance that they would have taken another player that was rated a little bit more highly because of those medicals, right? I'm not so sure they would have been super comfortable with that pick, even though they liked the player. So I think they were fortunate. And Ellis, as you mentioned the other day, luck is when preparation meets opportunity. And so, you know, they're really prepared. They are so prepared for a draft that Andrew Barry managed to have a baby at 8, 10 in the morning <laughs> on the day of the draft. Now, that's preparation, right? And, and this was not a C-section, okay? This was like, she went into labor. So- oh.
2: Very to be, to be fair, Andrew didn't have the baby himself. <laughs> <laughs> all right. there's, o- there's only so much he can do in, in that situation. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, point point taken.
1: Yep. So anyways, it, it worked out for them uh, once again because they were absolutely 100 prepared for that first round. And it just, their, their greatest position of need just so happened to be there at number 26.
0: I hear and, and agree with all of it. The only thing I really want to add is what I think the, pick specifically taught us about the type of player browns are looking for now this isn't a you know one size fit all type of thing but mary Kay was on this the night they drafted greg newsome and he he was on a a zoom call i wasn't able to be on there we were doing the live show but i remember mary Kay coming back to the show and just glowing about what what type of young man she thought greg newsome was like he just really impressed in that first interview and then he came back and talked to media that Friday and I came away with the same exact impressions the Browns are looking for the type of young leader that has a humble confidence to them and a a self-aware swagger if you will where he was poised enough to for lack of a better term, call out Larry Fitzgerald and Julio Jones while acknowledging he'll face Odell Beckham Jr. and Jarvis Landry in training camp in a few months, yet did so in a confident, yet hungry and assertive way saying, I'm ready for you guys. I I want this. And I could really see, and Mary Kay made the point first, how he fits right into this Browns locker room with that Baker Mayfield light type swagger, like we're young, but I'm here and I'm ready to play. it And maybe he gets knocked in the chin, and he seems like a, a young man who would be ready for that and be able to bounce back. And I think I, I came to this realization because first a year ago when we were meeting these young men on Zoom, everyone was just kind of getting used to this stuff. I don't think ever we we had a great grasp on how to connect through this this feature that's now consumed our, our lives, especially our work lives. So that just seems like a, a lot easier. And then meeting the, the kids in the rest of this class, there just wasn't really anyone like Greg Newsome and that's fine, you know. but that speaks to the character. So I think when you look at the cornerback position, it surprised some a little bit that, okay, he's a big 10 corner, you'd rather him be an SEC corner, sure. The lack of interceptions, would they probably want him to get his hands on some more footballs, yeah. But when you talk to the kid like he talked to us and, of course, they talked to him far before we did, you see why and how he won them over to make up for those things that may not show up just on the resume because the tape checks out. All that mashed together shows me that the type of ideal young man they're looking for. And Greg Newsom embodies all that. I just was really impressed with his presser. And I think that's something I'm going to take away from that first pick.
2: Okay, on to round number two, and this one should be interesting. Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa, the linebacker out of Notre Dame. So I want a little different direction on this one because this is something that I was hoping we'd get to see from Andrew Barry. So the Browns are sitting there at 59, and he's falling, 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 and Paul Podesta seemed to indicate when we talked to him after the pick that they had an idea that there were some teams in front of them that might take him. And, and Ellis, I think you've gone through some of the teams that, could. I mean, the Steelers were obviously in that mix, but the Chiefs were there. The Rams were the teams that would take a chance on a, on a guy like this. And I felt like we saw Andrew Barry really for the first significant time kind of play the draft. He knew where he needed to get to. He knew what he needed to give up to get there. You know, Washington was at 51, and they had already taken a linebacker. So he kind of knew exactly where he needed to get. He didn't give up really too much value in moving up to get that spot so he was patient but he also kind of played the draft game a little bit and that was something that we just haven't had an opportunity to see yet like when, when you want to go get a guy what does that really look like and are you going to kind of play that game like John Dorsey used to always do and like all, all these older GMs that have been at this forever always do I thought it was a good telling moment with Andrew Barry to see him not just sort of sit back and wait, but also play the game a little bit and figure out exactly where he needed to get to get the guy that he really wanted.
1: Yeah, you know, I think that's a really, really good point, Dan. And the thing to remember about this regime is that we're still getting to know them. And I think it's vitally important that we don't paint them into corners and draw conclusions about them based on their first season. Because just because they did something last year, doesn't mean that's exactly who they are and how they are going to operate going forward. And this is a growth mindset, front office and coaching staff. So even once we think we have them figured out, we will not have them figured out because they will change and evolve. They will they will grow and they will change as they go along. If you think you have Kevin Stefanski figured out right now and have him pegged as an offensive coordinator, you don't. You absolutely don't, and you guys know I've been banging that drum this whole entire offseason. Be prepared to be surprised. Be prepared to say, I didn't think that was a Kevin Stefanski trait or type of offense. Well, guess what? Uh, he's he's not going to be static. He's not standing still. He's going to keep improving, keep adding to his repertoire. He's, he's had so many people in his career that have helped shape who he is, and he will start to rely on some of those influences more as he goes along, especially because as we've said, he has time to do it now. And same thing with Andrew Barry, you know, we painted Andrew into a trade up averse and a linebacker averse place. And I think at one point, I think we were saying, we need to get the, the paint remover out like, like we did for, for Kevin Stefanski and get them out of the corner because they just don't belong there. This is a, a very creative, intelligent group. And they're, they're going to be always forward thinking. And so, yes, I do think that, that Andrew showed us some things there that do not peg him for somebody that has a set of rules that he won't break because he will break every single rule that you think that that he has. And he, he will surprise you along the way.
0: I completely agree, Mary Kay. And, and to build off that really, he's just showing you that his quote unquote rules that I, I guess, like you you set your statement up with that we've boxed him in it with at first are really just guidelines and then he'll crack through them and, and pivot when we think we have him pegged and what that tells me is that he's a calculated risk taker and that's what the the woo pick really solidified for me like this is either going to work out well to decent or jok is is going to not have a real position in this league and it's going to go the way in which scouts thought it would in terms of his linebacker stuff. Now it's been reported of course with his heart condition and Mary Kay has been on that and that removed there's, he still dropped for not as far, but he he, there's still those questions remain about what he is on the field. And then that's where the calculated risk taking comes in where Barry's like, all right, we're going to go grab this kid. He's a linebacker. No one thinks he is we're going to show you that we can make this work. That doesn't sound like an risk averse analytical thing to do that. That's a calculated risk and, and one that surprised me. But now you realize once you see the draft come together after the fact, how it came together and, and why they went in that direction.
1: I think another thing that we learned about them with this is it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks about a guy. Yeah. It's what they think. And they're going to march to their own drummer and the rest of the league could have thought that he was, you know, not that they did, but the rest of the league could have thought he was a second-round pick, a third-round pick. In their minds, he was a first-round pick, and they are following their own path, not anybody else's.
2: Yeah, I, I think that's a good point, too. And they they got aggressive to move up and, and get him. And the other thing with that risk, too, is obviously you want your fifth, number 52 pick to be a significant player, but at least taking him at 52 is less risky than at 26. Mm-hmm. And and again, and they may come out, you know, with two really good players out of that decision-making process. Okay. This is where it starts to get tough. Just so you guys know, Anthony Schwartz round three, number 91. And to me, this kind of goes with the theme of chess pieces. And that's sort of what they were looking for in this draft. So I don't know how much Schwartz is going to play this year. He's not going to play hundred percent of the snaps like Odell and and Jarvis. And you know, nobody's going to play hundred percent of the snaps in that receiver room, but he's not going to play starter level snaps. I don't know if he's going to play 50% of the offensive snaps, but he's going to get on the field and he's going to get on the field in spots where they can just use that speed to cause problems for the defense. Maybe it's some of the Jojo Nats and stuff that they did. Maybe he's, maybe there's some games where he is the third receiver. They were adding some chess pieces here. And so in the short term, this guy's a chess piece in the long term, We'll see, we'll see what it develops into, but they added a guy that can come in. And even if he's not polished and ready to be a one or two, he can be a guy that can contribute. And I think they were looking for some players like that in this draft.
1: Exactly. 100%. Those are great, great points, Dan. The other thing when I look at that, I think we learned about them from this pick is, is the fact that they will draft for traits. They will draft for traits. They want to say, we want a defense that gets a really good interior rush from our defensive tackles. So therefore They go out and they find defensive tackles that can rush the passer from the inside, right? They want linebackers that can cover tight ends, running backs out of the backfield or split wide or wherever they are, and slot receivers if they need to. So they're going to go out and they're going to find linebackers that can do those kinds of things. And Anthony Schwartz, they drafted him for a trait. As you mentioned, what was the trait? It was the trait of speed. The trait of speed, they wanted their offense to be much faster than it is. Actually, they want the whole team to be faster, but certainly they needed that element in their receiving core in the event that even if Odell Beckham Jr. plays the entire season, you can't have too much speed. So they drafted him for that specific trait. And and as I've mentioned before, you can't coach that. You're not coaching 4.25 but you can coach route running and you can make someone's hands better. You can improve hands. I now even firmly believe, which I started to believe before the Josh, before Josh Allen was picked, that you can improve accuracy from a quarterback. And I remember talking to so many people leading up to that draft. And I talked to really smart evaluators and they're like, no, mm -mm. if you're not an accurate quarterback in college, you're not going to be an accurate quarterback in the pros. And so many people said that to me and people need to kind of break down those axioms and and change the way they think. I think they have one of the best receiver coaches in the NFL. I think he's going to be able to coach this guy up. And if he can, uh, that will really tell you something about Chad O'Shea.
0: When it comes to him, his catching ability, I, I I want to urge listeners to just go watch some of his full game clips on on YouTube. He's a better catcher of the football than I'm, thinking the stats may show like I don't see an awkward catcher I don't see a track kid trying to play football I see a football player with world-class speed he doesn't body catch so I, like his the way he catches the football near the line of scrimmage I, I think he's going to be fine to, so to Mary Kay's point like there's enough of a foundation there for a receiver coach like Chad O'Shea to build him up I'll try to keep this as brief as I can but Dan really got me thinking about something when he talked about how the Browns played the draft or Barry did with the JOK pick this pick is I think a good example of them getting played by the draft a bit and I've said this before where if you look at the board Rogers goes a receiver from Clemson Nico Collins goes the Browns in a way probably panic or reach a little bit obviously no one's ever going to say anything like that but knowing they needed this guy they weren't going to be able to come back and get him and then the Patriots grab a, a defensive end like Ronnie Perkins five picks after like this might be the one spot where it's like okay those two receivers turned out better and the the dn's pretty good where i'm going with this though is what i learned from this pick by what i just laid out is what kevin safansky's offense can't live without excuse this grim dark night analogy but it reminds me of the end of the movie when harvey Dent's up on the roof with batman and commissioner gordon and he's trying to figure out which kid he does like gordon cares about the most if you will i I don't have children you two do i don't know if that's a really messed up way to put it but my point (laughs) is he's like he figures out which kid gets the biggest reaction out of of commissioner gordon by pointing the gun at him and gordon kind of freaks out and he picks the kid right this is an example of what kevin safancy's offense can't live without we saw it a year ago with a signing like austin hooper you know paying a tight end like that okay this is when it really when you get this offense down to its its bones it needs this tight end right when you get this offense down to its bones, it needs that speed guy. It needs someone that can threaten defenses horizontally on jet sweeps. I, I kept pounding the drum for a guy like Jojo Natson because once they lost him, you all most of that pre-snap motion stuff you lost, and then they need a guy deep, and once Odell was gone, they lost that. This pick really shows you what one of the founding pillars of this offense is, and that was solidified by the – Browns, Barry, and Stefanski in a way reaching for something that they really viewed as a necessary need.
2: On to the fourth round pick. And that of course is the offensive tackle James Hudson out of Cincinnati. So this one's interesting. This is actually a significant pick. So this is why I went that direction or the direction that I went. Harrison Bryant was the 115th pick in the draft. And he was brought in to to be a key piece in that tight end room, and we saw that he contributed right away. Hudson is not going to see the field this year unless somebody gets hurt. And the Browns saw guys get hurt last year. I mean, just look in the playoffs, right? Jack Conklin got hurt early in the wild card game. Jed Wills got hurt early in the divisional game. Conklin missed another game during the season. So to me, this tells me that depth really matters on that offensive line for this team because they're using the fourth round pick, a pick that they use to get a starting caliber or a guy who turned into a starting caliber player for them. They use that on a guy that's probably not going to see the field much this year, if everything kind of goes right. So I just think this tells you that depth on that offensive line matters. And the other cool thing here too, is this is also kind of an eye to the future because this guy might be good and maybe he becomes a tackle of the future. Obviously not, on Jed Will's side, but maybe he takes over for Jack Conklin someday, or maybe he takes over on the interior someday if they cross train him on the inside. So I just think this speaks to how much they really wanted to add depth on that offensive line that they used to pick in this spot, the first pick of day three for them to take a tackle that in a perfect world, doesn't see the field very much in 2021.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's a great point. It's a pretty high pick for tackle depth or for offensive line depth. It's a, it does speak to their need for depth and their uh, ability next year, too, to have maybe that swing tackle if they can make sure that he can serve different roles. Uh, but I also think it goes back to traits. This is a very, very athletic lineman that can do everything that they need him to do. And his upside must just be tremendous. I mean, Bill Callahan probably fall, fell in love with the guy. He probably looked at him and thought, this is the kind of guy that I need uh, for their, uh, you know, for their wide zone scheme and for what they want to do. Super, super scheme specific is this player. And I, I just think it shows that, you know, they are really, really committed to these schemes that they're running.
0: Yeah. I watched two James Hudson games today, along with two Tommy Togiai games, and I really grouped them together. And Dan, I know in your story, you group two different picks together. And we were on similar wavelengths when I, Posted the, these two big men together, if you will, because I I learned the same thing with the Hudson and the Togi. I pick is that this team, after addressing what we'll call skill positions on both sides of the ball, you know, the receiver, the hybrid guy in a corner. They go back to back picks on the interior on both sides of the ball, knowing that that's their bread and butter. That's where games are decided up front. Doesn't matter if you're a starter or the third guy. We don't know when someone's going to go down, and we need you not to be two levels below the guy you're replacing. You need to be as, as close as possible. Kendall Lamb played the vast majority of that Chiefs game, in the, you know, the, the divisional round. You know, So this is, and, I, and, and to Mary Kay's point, I, I view James Hudson after watching that tape. As we've been saying, the Kendall Lamb replacement, but this young man has real upside where you know Kendall Lamb was, was a placeholder. I'm a lot more impressed with his tape than I am Tommy, but the point is both these young men will not be asked to do much until they are. And that's the point. They're adding depth in the two spots in football that decide the game, offensive line,
2: defensive line. So speaking of combining players, I combined... Uh, The next two here on the, on the list, the guy you just mentioned, Tommy Togiai, I combined him. This is a little bit of a weird combination. I'll admit, I combined him with Richard LeCount. Now I think Togiai is going to play this year. I I think he's going to see the field. I know Doug Maurice has has told us that as well, that, that he thinks this is a guy that you could see on the field in big moments, but I also think defensive tackle, A relative position of strength, there's some unknowns there, but you got Malik Jackson, Jordan Elliott, Andrew. You have veterans there. I know Jordan Elliott's only in his second year, guys that are going to come back and play. You just added Malik McDowell, brought in a you gave a bunch of money to an undrafted free agent to to come in in that position. So,
0: Billings, did you mention Billings
2: together though? Is they're adding to a position of strength, and so it's safety, right? Like, we're probably not going to see LeCount, but you added to you. You weren't afraid to go out and add a guy at a position of strength, you know, even if you can't necessarily see where he's on the field. And you could use that same argument for Hudson. So maybe these three kind of picks all go together, as, as far as just they're strong in these areas. But let's go out and just add more guys there. It's kind of to your point, those
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that um, you know Andrew Berry told us before this draft that this was very much about the future. And I think we could see that winding throughout this draft is that they are looking at two, three, and in some cases, maybe even four years down the road, which is why they really like the fact that, that a Greg Newsom was so young. So this is an opportunity for them uh, just to, just to keep it coming. You know, certainly they, they don't necessarily need some of these positions and it, it can be a little puzzling at times to think, hmm, you know, why, why do they keep adding defensive tackles to this football team right now? Or like you said, even safeties, they're, they're continuously planning ahead. They're thinking probably, probably have a, you know, more of a two-year plan right now, maybe even some kind of a three-year plan that we don't know about. And it involves and includes contracts expiring. It includes a lot of money issues and also age and all of those things wrapped into one. So when we talk about a smart front office, there are things going on that we don't even really understand or can see. But I think this, the way that you put these guys together sort of falls into that category of, okay, doesn't necessarily make sense to us right now at this moment, but makes perfect sense as you go out a year or two. I'm
0: going to write about this eventually, not this week, as we were talking Off air. (laughs) I'm not going to find the motivation to get after it this week. So hopefully, no one pulls this uh, listening. But there's something going on with the safety position on this team and on, we'll just say, smart defenses league wise with an efficiency in how they view straight line speed and your actual value. And that's something I know account, you know, mentioned his injury as to why he, he ran slower and whatnot, but I don't think the Browns really cared. I, I forget where I, I read it, but something about how his GPS data was, was really impressive and put him in the 90th percentile and so on and so forth. I think Daniel Jeremiah probably had that, but that to me is something that, the Browns probably are a lot higher on LeCount than we may realize due to that single data point alone. There's other safeties around this league that have similar metrics and uh, athletic frames, if you will, and, and resumes that translate to LeCount. Like if you look at Josh Johnson, I bet his <clears throat> excuse me his 40 time isn't lower than. You know, four six off the top of my head I, you know he's not a, a four four Is what i'm trying to say and they don't need to be at that safety spot so i think they found a traits guy who doesn't have the traits that you'd expect when you say traits guy but that's what's going on at this safety spot and the browns are at the forefront of it i think we got to do some more research but that's what my gut's telling me right now
2: and, and the other thing that stood out to me about the account pick is we don't know if grant Delpit's where grant Delpit's going to be in you know that second week of september and also Ronnie Harrison's a free agent after this season. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I don't know if the Browns want to extend him or if they'll be able to extend him, you know, they've got to start thinking about things like that. So the count is, is kind of a hedge for the future. All right. There's two more here. And this one is Tony fields. And to me, it was just, I liked the idea of double dipping, you know, one of the comps for fields is Owusu-Koromoa. So you kind of went out and got another version of Wusu koromoa I just liked the idea of double dipping. I think I said on a podcast, I think on a round table maybe, I said that I would have preferred a double dip at corner. But I I just liked the idea of, yeah, we got this guy in the second round, but here's another guy we really like who's a little bit like him. But that's okay. Let's bring him into the building too.
1: Yeah, if you're going for a sort of total transformation at your linebacker position and you're trying to – Draft again for traits and have a certain prototypical kind of guy playing, especially at that weak side position, and he can do this set of things. This is the first year you're investing draft picks in in those guys. I mean, they really did not do that that much last year. They did not really add. I mean, they got Jacob. Phillips, but they did not really add to the linebacker pile all that much. They didn't spend money on it in free agency. So if you're trying to draw up the hybrid linebacker guy, you're going to probably need a couple of them in this defense. So, you know, why not now that is the one position where I think if, and we talked about this on the Hey Mary K pod, I believe yesterday, that's the one position where if for some reason you decide that you're not going to run Joe Woods, defense anymore and he goes and gets another job and you bring in another defensive coordinator linebacker to me is the only position that you would have to swap out potentially the kind of guy you're going for I think everything else translates to any kind of a defense those kind of guys the hybrid linebacker may or may not completely be a scheme fit for a different D. but I have no problem with building that guy
0: yeah, I can't figure out if this pick solidifies they have no interest in linebackers with the build and athletic makeup of a guy like Sony Takitaki, just you know your traditional 240 thicker stockier linebacker that isn't the best laterally and really a two-down guy, or if this is more of an exit for Mac Wilson and because Sony Takitaki has such different traits than all the linebackers that they're collecting that he would be a better bet to make the team either way one of them or both feel gone but to me i the only thing the pick tells me is that they either have no interest in the bigger linebacker or it's one or the other and guys caught in the middle your more mac wilson types are, are going to be are,
2: are going to be left
0: and and we'll, we'll find out come training camp
2: it's, it seems like they kind of like that traditional mike linebacker or somewhat traditional mike linebacker yeah but they don't necessarily like to make the long commitments to that guy. But then around that, that guy at that position, they want to do some different things.
0: I mean, Dan, to that point, I just was thinking about this the other night. Like I know it's a business and there's no hard feelings. I mean, I'm just assuming, but like BJ Goodson got done kind of cold. Like he just comes here and plays the most snaps of his career, plays some of his better football, you know, probably the best of his ability was asked to do a lot was a team leader and is now just an afterthought like that's what happens with winning programs but you're 100% right about it
1: you know what i actually think i had been doing some due diligence on on the bj goodson situation and i actually think they did want to bring him back and it just kind okay. of i think it sort of broke down and it didn't go the way everybody hoped that it would go i think that 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 was something that just didn't uh, it just didn't quite work out correctly Has he-
0: has he signed anywhere else? I know we're getting off topic. Yeah, I we're think he did. Someone- okay. I, I,
1: I think he did sign somewhere, but I'm, I'm, it's escaping me here. right now. But that, that was one of those. No, I, he's yeah? still
2: a, free, he's still a free agent.
1: Well, you never know. I mean, yeah. you never know because that was one of those things where they, they did end up then going out and committing the money to Anthony Walker, but it, it just seemed like it was one of those things where, you know, they, they were, they were talking, they, they sure. were working on it, and it just. Something just didn't didn't
2: go well. He had a visit with the Titans. That's the most recent. Oh, that's what I that, that must
1: be what I was thinking about. Yeah,
2: he had a, a visit with the Titans. They must remember him breaking up that pass they threw to the offensive lineman <laughs> in that game in Nashville. Okay, the last one is is Demetric Felton, and to me, this one is just kind of in line with the Donovan Peoples Jones thing. I'm all for taking a big swing on a guy like this in the sixth round. I, I texted that out and. I, I kind of said like, there's really nothing to lose with, with a sixth round pick and somebody responded, well, what about Tom Brady? Well, if Tom Brady's your standard, you're going to be disappointed by 99% of the sixth round picks. I, I love this. Uh, take a take a swing on a guy. He could be anything, right? He could be a dynamic wide receiver for you. He could be next in line at the running back position. If you know, you go a different direction from Kareem Hunt down the road or whatever happens with Nick Chubb, he could be part of that group of, of the next set of running backs that you have. So I just think this is a really good opportunity to take a swing and they, they've done it two years in a row. Now, take it, take a swing on Donovan people's Jones and now you take one on, on this guy and you kind of see what he can become with really no real risk.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, what, I, what I find interesting about this pick is that plenty of teams would have drafted him as a wide receiver and this is an offense that Kevin Stefanski hangs his hat on the idea of sort of, you know, ambiguity between the run and the pass. You're not supposed to know until really, really late into the play. What the heck is going on? Are you running the ball? Are you, are you passing it? What are you doing? I like the fact that this player, Demetric Felton can, can help you uh, with, with the disguise of that. He's going to be really good at that. I mean, you can, you can put him, in the backfield as a running back, you can split him out wide. You can motion him out. Uh, You can do all different kinds of things with him. And I don't think they did enough of that last year with Kareem hunt. I don't think they took advantage of that enough. I think they should have had Nick and Kareem on the field together more. I would expect to see that this season more. We talked about it all last off season and then it never really happened all that much. And I think once again, that was a function of not having the opportunity to do all the creative things that you would have wanted to do because of the way COVID hit and all that. But, you know, if you have a Kareem Hunt on the field and you've got a Demetric Felton on the field, think about the very creative ways that you can use both of those guys and nobody knows where you're going with the football. And, you know, in the same way that they will use their defenders in a way to disguise and confuse who's going to be able to read, the Mike linebacker, who's going to be able to, who's even playing safety, right? <laughs> I mean, and that's what you can do with these guys in this offense. You can play Demetri Felton as a running back, as a pure wide out, and a mix of both. And there's so many different things that you can do with them. So I think it was a cool pick.
0: There's two types of people at most fantasy drafts the guy or gal who, you know, by the middle of the draft, two two two-thirds of the way through stops caring you know maybe they've had too much to drink they wanted to focus on food keep watching the tv visit with their friends they're they're checked out then there's a person who sits there from start to finish with their notebook out and they've got their people way at the bottom of the list circle because you know that could win them the fantasy league and they make sure they get that person whether it's a snake or an auction draft they get that person regardless kevin Safansky is the latter he had Dimitri Felton circled and targeted and knew that that was his guy that he needed to get because of what everything Mary Kay's laying out the, the Pandora's box, it opens on that offense. And he made sure to get him. That's the type of pick where comes fancy. looks at his, when he's done, he's like, yeah, that, 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 that's going to, that pick's going to win me the fantasy league. He's going to be excited about that because of what he can do. And when you just look down this draft list with the exercise we just had for them to get each, All these players that we have this much to say about really tells you how targeted this draft was, and it just takes us back to where we started, and it was a thorough process by this front office and organization.
2: One of the things I found interesting this week is an organization that doesn't like to tell us anything, though. We're very clear when we ask them. Owusu Koromo is a linebacker. Dimitri Felton's a running back. I just I thought that was interesting because they they could have just said, "Ah, you know, we're going to see where they end up. We're going to do this. But they were very clear where they see them. But I don't know if uh, they might start in those areas. I don't know if they're going to finish in those areas.
1: The other thing that I learned about some of these draft picks is that you have to plan extra time when you're writing a story, especially about like about Jeremiah Owusu Koromoa, because it takes so long to figure out how to spell his last name and so long to type it out. And the same t- thing with, uh, with Tommy Togia, how do you say, I, can't Togiai. Togiai. I still have yeah. a hard time saying it. <laughs> so if I had to write a story about those, you know, those two guys together, I would leave myself at least an extra half hour. Just if you guys haven't really written about much about them yet.
0: Yeah. I, I don't think I've said, I don't think I've said Wu's full name on the, uh, this podcast <laughs> yet. So I'm working on that too. Still married. Say, it, say
1: it now. Say it. Go ahead.
0: Jeremiah Owusu Koromora. Koromora. Yeah, I do that all the time
1: I, do. I always do the Koromora, and then I went like, no, so Karen, close. Koromora. So close. Yes. You
0: should have heard me. You should have heard me on Thursday night when we he was still there at twenty six. We were like practicing on the live pod, and I just went butchering <laughs> it for butchering it for everyone to hear
2: live.
1: Yeah. Why can't we just call him Woo? I'm gonna try. <laughs> Woo hoo!
2: There, there are names, even names that I like, at this point I, I know how to spell perfectly. It doesn't matter if I type them out in a story before I can hit publish. I have to copy them and paste them into Google. To make yep. sure i don't get the oh did you mean to search for this guy and yep. there's just some name and i think Ow- owusu koromoa is going to be <laughs> one of those names yeah and, and there are going to be some other ones as well as we go along all right uh that'll do it for this edition of the orange or brown talk podcast uh as always i mentioned football insider make sure you subscribe subscribed there. blue banner at the top of the page of cleveland.com slash browns and make sure you're subscribed to our pod wherever you listen I'm mary Kay and ellis i'll talk to you guys later